Hello and welcome to Disseminate, the podcast bringing you overviews of the latest computer science research. I'm your host, Jack Wardby. We are recording today from ACM Sigmod Pods in Philadelphia, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Felix Campbell, who will be talking about his paper, Efficient Answering of Historical What-If Questions. Felix is a student at the Illinois Institute of Technology, and in the fall he will be joining Ben-Gurion University to start his PhD. He is interested in data provenance and query optimization methods. Felix, thank you for joining the show. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Can you start off by explaining to our listeners what are historical what-if questions? Sure. So a historical what-if query is um, we want to allow users to sort of be able to leverage the history of their database. Um, typically, there's actually a lot of interesting information um, that we can actually um, sort of exploit to uh, sort of reason about our data a little bit better. Um, so namely, um, historical what-if queries allow users to sort of... Um, make some sort of hypothetical scenarios that they might um, want to see uh, how it would have played out with the rest of their database. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the conical example that we use is in like an e-commerce scenario, you might have um, a shipping policy um, that was in the database that reduced the shipping fee to zero for orders of greater than $50. And so if um, you as a data scientist or analyst decided, um, you know, we want to see what would have happened if uh, we had... Uh, set this threshold to $60 instead, um, we now provide a framework to um, not only answer this query, but also um, efficiently um, to more uh, effectively allow data scientists to sort of mm-hmm. test these interventions. Fantastic. So what's the naive approach to answering these types of questions? Sure. So naively, right, um, the, the structure of the query is such that we want to know the difference between the um, original database and this hypothetical database. So naively, in order to do that, right, we have our original database. This already exists. It's the current. It's the truth, ground truth, so to speak. And um, so we need to create a copy of the database prior to the transactional history. So we use a time travel feature that's supported by many um, database management systems in order to achieve that. So after copying, then we apply the set of modifications um, to the history, which we then um, evaluate over the database. And then we simply just take the symmetric difference, right? So that's anything that's exclusively in the original ground truth database or anything that's exclusively in the hypothetical database. And it's annotated to let you know which is coming from where. Okay, fantastic. So what are the problems with this naive approach and why is your solution better? Sure, of course. So, right, um, the key part here is um, there's a lot of overhead in the mm-hmm. naive um, approach to the problem, right? Namely, copying the entire database can be a little bit impractical with um, larger relations, um, especially if this is something that you want to um, evaluate a few times, right? So if you, um, you, know, you change this, the threshold to $60 from our earlier example, maybe you want to try 65 or 70 or 45, you know? But in this case, you'd have to be copying your large relation for each invocation. Right. So on top of that, actually evaluating these um, transactional histories, again, over the database can be um, problematic um, as uh, you uh, have the overhead that would occur from actually executing these uh, queries with side effects, right? So you actually are writing to disk, you're, you're incurring the transaction processing overhead. Um, so we would like to avoid this ideally if possible. Cool. So with that in mind, can we go into a little bit more depth on your solution and talk about reenactment? How, that, how does that work? Sure. So as I just mentioned, right, this, this big, this big uh, issue with copying, right? And, yeah. and it's the, the issue is that... Um, Right, we can't reuse the copy after we've executed the history, right? Because um, now we've 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 made some side effects, right? 
So reenactment is a technique from um, our group at IIT um, prior um, that allows us to uh, sort of rewrite a um, transactional history into a relational algebra tree consisting of selects, projects, and unions. So what this means is that actually we can basically what we, uh, we call like a replay or simulate a transactional history over a database without actually incurring any side effects, right? So you run the query, the, the reenactment query, right? And you get back a relation that is going to be the same thing as if you had executed the actual um, updates, inserts, and deletes um, as they were over the data. So in your paper as well, you mentioned two additional techniques that can, can help in, in, in this sort of thing. So mm -hmm. these are data slicing and programming slicing. Can you go into a little bit more depth about these as well and describe how they're useful? Sure, of course. So data slicing and program slicing um, are kind of some techniques that we, we borrowed, um, at least particularly program slicing from the programming language community. Um, but namely, um, what we seek to do in both is to kind of reduce the, the, the size of the computation. So now that we're doing reenactment, we're able to kind of you know, piece apart those computations and, and reduce the, um, the amount of computation necessary. So in data slicing, um, intuitively, um, because of the structure of the problem, we concern ourselves with only um, tuples that might appear in the symmetric difference. Okay, yeah. And so um, knowing this, um, we uh, kind of investigate this a little bit further to see you know, which tuples will necessarily have to be in the, um, in the answer of the historical order query, right? which is the difference. So, so we investigated that, and we've, we've come up with um, you know, how to uh, filter out the tuples prior to the reenactment to get rid of all of that, that extra data that we would have to process otherwise. And in the case of program slicing, um, it's kind of you know, a bit of an analog to data slicing. Um, in this case, uh, we have a transactional history, and a lot of these transactions are actually irrelevant to computing the answer to the historical what-if query, right? If we are concerning ourselves with modifying the shipping fee based on price, we don't have to care about um, changing a customer's country. That's a little bit um, not so precise of a statement, right? Because changing their country might affect a later shipping fee change. So, but, yeah. but, but in general, right, we... we um, just to demonstrate, like there's a there's a probably a, a decent amount of updates that you don't need to run again in order to answer the same question. How does this this solution then compare to other techniques in the literature, and what are the benefits of, of this compared to the other ones? What the where does it improve on the pitfalls of those solutions? Sure. So there's a few existing um, what if analysis systems. Um, it's not a completely new idea. This what if analysis hypothetical reasoning. Um, I would say, in particular, our approach um, tries to leverage the transactional history of the database. Right. Um, this, this presents a lot of information. Um, there's a great talk today um, about a paper that uh, is also a framework for hypothetical reasoning, um, but they um, don't really use the historical um, you know, uh, nature that we are able to actually leverage to sort of you know, provide some predictions or some hypothetical answers. Um, so in general, I, I would say the key to our approach, at least the, the problem is a little bit novel, right? Because um, we're looking at modifying this history and seeing how it would have been different. Yeah. And then um, the technique is novel in that, um, you know, there's, there's been data slicing and program slicing done before in literature, even with, with um, respect to databases. But um, some of the more uh, technical, like key technical aspects are, um, I would say, pretty novel. Following on from that, are there any commercial database systems at the moment that provide anything like this in their current offerings? Um, 
So I think there's a number of commercial database systems that definitely provide the groundwork. Um, I think the key, the key things that we require for this is audit logging, right? So we actually need to have a transactional history before we do anything. So audit logging is key. Um, but additionally, time travel, right? We need to know what was the state of the database prior to the history that we're trying to investigate hypothetically. Um, but in terms of out-of-the-box functionality, um, it doesn't really quite exist. Um, originally, um, this paper uh, kind of referred to our system as a middleware for answering a store of queries. Um, and this kind of nomenclature pops up. You know, as, uh, <laughs> a story history. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, so to our knowledge, um, it's definitely not an out-of-the-box. Uh, we actually have a, a slight extension to SQL to facilitate the what-if queries. How did you go about evaluating your solution? What sort of benchmarks did you use? Mm-hmm. What were the results? Uh, give us some numbers um, and to say how good, how good sure. this, this is. So we... Um, we were uh, going to evaluate this, so we uh, used a couple of data sets, um, some standardized benchmarks and some sort of real-world data. Um, the challenge with this is, is obviously it's hard to measure some sort of ground truth, right? This is hypothetical reason. We're, we're, we're doing A-B testing without the B, right? There's, there's not really... Um, it can be hard to... And that's definitely a challenge that... I. You know, I don't know how much I should reference this other talk, but I'd go for it. Of course, yeah, right, yeah. right. That's that's sort of an issue they had too, right? Yeah. Is is they need they need to input this causal graph because they don't know. That's a hard right. problem. Yeah, it's something for someone to sort of you know analyze that just with domain expertise. Um, and so, but yeah, so we we, we used um, some couple standard benchmarks. Um, TPC C specifically is is uh, one of the such benchmark um, that's used for. Uh, pretty standard, standard like query answering. Also the Yahoo Cloud Services benchmark. Um, but also we used a taxi trips database from the um, city of Chicago. Okay, we nice. have a, like an open data portal. And so um, the, the workloads that we used for at least the, the, speci- uh, the standardized benchmarks, they, have a, they specify some like workloads, right? So they specify some updates, some inserts, some deletes. And so this is... Um, we took these workloads, we made some hypothetical modifications ourselves and, and try to understand how um, you know, different um, parameters affect the um, runtime. What sort of parameters are we talking here? What are, sure. what are the knobs we can turn here? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so there's quite a few knobs that we, <laughs> that we can turn. There's a lot of, uh, you can really dial it in. But in, in particular, um, right, the, the key thing that we've identified is, I mean, it's, you know, on its face, it's pretty obvious, but um, right, the, the the two key things I would say are um, in terms of the speed up you'll get <clears throat> is um, the percentage of dependent updates. Okay. So we term a dependent update as an update that we can't eliminate from the reenactment. <clears throat> and so, um, right, if you if everything is dependent on everything, right, they, you're not going to be able to benefit. And and the same thing with the um, with the data, right, okay. the data sizing as well, right. Yeah. So if if every dependent update is modifying all the data, it's like you're not going to be able to get rid of anything from your processing. So those are the two things. So typically in like a real world scenario, right, you, you usually have updates and that like make sort of certain like partitions or cuts. So if you're only modifying, um, for example, customers in the UK, you know, or customers in the US, right, you're able to sort of isolate that as compared to modifying every single customer. Um, the, the, the main difference in uh, running time as well is obviously we scale in the size of the transactional history, um, right? So the data size doesn't, matter and with regards to program slicing which is nice some other previous uh, approaches that kind of um, don't do it exactly the same prop for the same problem but do kind of a similar program slicing um, are uh, linear in the size of the data so it's 
not good, right? You have more data, it's going to take longer, it's, it's something we would like to avoid. But in general, the results are, are um, you know, um, against the naive method to our method. Um, we're usually in order of magnitude better. Typically, uh, you know, the, um, our reenactment approach with all of our optimizations enabled is usually to win out of reenactment alone yeah. or um, either, either optimization alone. And there's some cases where this isn't necessarily true. Yeah, what are those cases? Sure. So as I mentioned, so we have this case where we have uh, basically the extremes. So if we have an extremely high amount of tuples being modified or an extremely high amount of dependent updates, you're not going to be able to benefit. But there's an extreme in the data side where if you have very few um, tuples that are actually being, or right rows being modified by the um, uh, updates that are dependent, it's going to be the case that it's actually, you know, the program slicing is actually a pretty heavy um, algorithm, right? Right. It uh, uses uh, linear programming, and just to kind of like high level, it's it's definitely a hard problem, right? So um, there's some cases where because the amount of data that we're actually reenacting on is so small, right? It could be in the cases that we were testing, we were testing maybe only you know a couple to tens of tuples out of million, and in those cases, it's 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 a lot simpler to just do those 10, 20 to hundred so tuples through the whole history rather than to try to um, do the program slicing routine, right, and try to cut away some of that, some of those updates. Sometimes it's just faster to just run it. There's definitely cases where, in particular with low selectivity, where, you know, the program slicing might not benefit. But we definitely see this. I mean, you don't even have to have that um, high of a percentage, you know, like even 10%, 25%, we start seeing some pretty significant improvement. Fantastic. Where do you see this research being the most useful and who can use this? Um, so in general, um, we kind of propose this as being just one tool in a hypothetical reasoning toolbox. Um, we don't really, we, we would like to be able to help users in the future come up with hypothetical reasoning, but the question is, is right, who wants, who wants this? And uh, that's a good question. And uh, really, I think it's applicable to a lot of um, business scenarios, right, where um, we might have some, you know, uh, transactions, you know, business transactions, or we might have some... Um, you know, uh, really, really anything where you might say like, oh, we have a lot of, um, you know, updates and inserts and deletes that kind of encode sort of what our business does in the database. And it's like, oh, we can, we can totally use that to leverage that to help you make data-driven decisions um, based on sort of the, how, your, how your database behaved in the past, if that makes sense. Anyone who wants to, you know, Make better decisions, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe the, the code and the toolkit is publicly available. Where can people go and find that? Yes. Um, so it's on uh, the database group at IIT's website, okay. um, cs.iit.edu slash tilde, yeah, DB group. We'll link, we'll link we'll, the relevant we'll link places it. in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's implemented on top of a system that um, we have kind of developed, uh, particularly by... Uh, um, the head of the group, uh, Boris Glavik, uh, but it's a system called GPROM. So it's, that's like a middleware for kind of a lot of different provenance-aware tasks. So it's an extension on top of that. But in general, the um, you know the, the the algorithm can be found in the paper and um, uh, can be certainly um, you know uh, implemented elsewhere. Um, with uh, you know, it's it's not the easiest <laughs> to deal with, sure. but um, you know, it's certainly uh, you know tractable. So what's the most interesting lesson that you've learned while working on what-if queries and more generally in the area of data provenance? Sure. Um, 
it can be a little uh, it can be difficult to reason about. There's mm-hmm. sometimes some some unexpected surprises. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you'll 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 think that you have like a condition that's that's good enough, right? And then you might find a counterexample. Um, and so, um, you know, obviously, it's an, it, it, everything's an iterative approach, right? You you come up with an idea, you test it, you look around. Um, but that's definitely right. There's there's a lot of I think nuance to this. For example, if we have some modified update that occurs later in the history, right? We have to consider that updates before it are producing input to that as well. So we need to check the dependency between those later modified updates and updates that come prior. This isn't the case when there's only one modified update. Then we can just check them uh, only going forward, right? We don't need to go backwards. So I think definitely, uh, you know, it's it's um, there's a lot to reason about, and um, you know, you just gotta. You know, we're we're pretty uh, certain now, based on the proof. I say pretty certain, but we're certain. <laughs> you know, we'd be a little bit more confident when we say we're certain that um, we definitely kind of ironed out um, the semantics that, that all this has. Great. And so, what do you have planned for the future? Sure. So, in general, um, like I said, this is uh, just one uh, tool in like a hypothetical reasoning toolbox. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of good work um, being done in this space right now. Um, you know, be it from years ago, kind of introducing what of analysis, you know, it's like Caravan, but also like in the talk that we had just seen today, uh, HyperR. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of um, interesting work to sort of, uh, you know, c- continue to grow this toolbox. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's, uh, it's a hard problem to answer, but um, hopefully, um, you know, either kind of directly continuing this line of work, um, perhaps by making the uh, implementation more um, industry ready, a little bit more robust, a little bit more performant, um, or also um, increase the utility, right? Um, so maybe, as we mentioned, maybe um, sort of learning some relationships between um, the updates in the history. For example, if we delete a customer, right, we're going to need to delete their orders too, right? But it's c- currently possible that, right, it's that the framework is not super, it's not smart, right? If you right, tell it yeah, to do it, yeah. it'll do it, but, but you might you know, get results that aren't helpful. Mm-hmm. So we really would like to maybe in the future assist users in this hypothetical reasoning. And we can also apply this technique, uh, the program slicing, the, the, the sort of underlying um, technical approach can be appropriated for um, some other interesting, sometimes more theoretical tasks. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Felix. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, if you're interested in knowing more about Felix's work, well, all, the, all the relevant links will be put into the uh, show notes. Do you have any social media accounts you'd like to... Um, shout out just my website okay uh, well if you want to learn more yeah. <laughs> go look at Felix's website um, brilliant and thank you for listening and we will see you next time <laughs>